1045, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We start off today's program like we start off every program, three big things, um, no shortage of information. But before that, it is my favorite story of the day. It is a stupid criminal story. All right. And again, it's part of the lesson that criminals from the city of Milwaukee are learning when they go out to commit crimes in the suburbs, namely that unlike what happens in Milwaukee, police in the suburbs do, in fact, chase criminals in an effort to apprehend them. So here's the story. Brown Deer, two men who allegedly robbed the U.S. Bank. Allegedly. I like that. They allegedly robbed the U.S. Bank. Now, I'll tell you the facts, and then you can describe whether or not the word alleged really needs to be put into this sentence. Two males who allegedly robbed the U.S. Bank on 4200 West Brown Deer Road were later arrested after they drove their car off the road into the Milwaukee River yesterday afternoon. One of the suspects went into the bank at 10.30 a.m. and demanded money from a teller behind the counter. The man did not display a weapon or imply he was carrying a weapon, but he got away with an undetermined amount of cash, says the Brown Deer police. The male fled on foot and got into a vehicle that was later located by police. Um, Police squads pursued the vehicle southbound on Green Bay Road into Glendale, where a Glendale officer became the primary pursuit vehicle. Okay, so they're, they're chasing him. At some point, the suspect's car cut through a grassy field. Squads did not follow the vehicle and lost sight of it. They did, however, find it later. Where was it? It was in the Milwaukee River. The car had driven through a Glendale resident's front yard and backyard and ended up in the river in the 5900 block of Sunny Point Road. Actually, that's not that far from where I grew up. You know, it's like, oh, hey, you're sitting around late morning. Hey, it's kind of a slow morning. Oh, watch that car. It's speeding through the front yard. It's speeding through the backyard. Huh. There's the river behind us, Marge. Look what's going to happen. Officers arrested one suspect in the 1,000 block of West Riverview Drive, and shortly later they arrested the second suspect in the 5400 block of Milwaukee River Parkway. Wonderful. Um, North Shore Fire and Rescue crews recovered the submerged vehicle from the river at around 11 o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I understand for legal purposes they put the word alleged in the paper, but all right, if you've got a guy that walks in, Demands money from a bank, jumps into a car, they flee the cops, they drive the car into the river. I think that might be one where, well, you don't need the greatest prosecutor in the world to particularly prove that case. But um, this is another one of these values of, again, you, you chase. And maybe in this case, because it was a bank robbery, even though it was a bank robbery without force, maybe the Milwaukee police would have chased. But you chase, you catch them. In this case, um, bad guys off the streets. All right. Big story number one. We do three big things. Big story number one. Uh, President Trump, James Comey, the the day after. I I was just mentioning this when I was talking to Jane and Jean. There there was a blogger who did this this interesting sort of side-by-side analysis. You know, if if you're watching the different TV stations while there's an event going on, like the James Comey uh, testimony. What, what the TV stations will do is they'll run like subtitles under the things. It's not a, it's not a word-for-word description, but it, it's like subtitles to describe the highlights of what the person is saying. And if, if you watched this yesterday, it was just amazing, and it, and it shows the way different people or different news organizations perceive the world. Because, for example, if, if you looked, and if you looked, and I'm not, this is this is not paraphrasing it too much. If you'd watch MSNBC, the headline would say Comey says Trump a liar. 
And at the same time, the thing on Fox News would say, Comey says no evidence to connect Trump to Russians. And it was just it was a tale of of essentially two sort of different presentations. And I think that was my sense after watching the testimony yesterday. And I mentioned this. I thought it was what I don't know that there was a smoking gun. I mean, clearly, James Comey had axes to grind, and he had the ability to grind these things publicly. Clearly, he did not have a very good relationship with President Trump. He did not trust President Trump, um, and he thought that he was being badgered by President Trump. And so he started documenting everything, and yesterday was you know, his day of payback. At the same time, um, I think it's pretty clear that at least right now, there's no evidence to believe that President Trump... Um, colluded with the Russians to impact on the campaign. And the question becomes one of obstruction of justice. And as I was saying yesterday, obstruction of justice is very, very difficult to prove. The president of the United States saying, hey, I wish this case would go away, that that doesn't come close to proving obstruction of justice. And I, I know that there's Trump haters out there that don't like to hear it, but that's just kind of the reality. I mean, keep in mind, the president of the United States could pardon anybody that, that he wanted to. It's not like Trump and I think actually, you know, maybe without obstructing justice, you could even actually order someone to kill an investigation. But that's not what happened. I mean, the investigations continue and they continue to this day. So for people who are hoping that there's going to be some obstruction of justice charge coming out, it, it, it's not going to happen. But but I don't think, at least in my opinion, there, there's any question that Comey's testimony yesterday was was damaging. It just it it was. But. President Trump takes to Twitter this morning, um, sends out a tweet, uh, essentially claiming that he has been vindicated by the testimony and then accusing Comey of improperly leaking details of the discussions. This is, of course, James Comey's disclosure that um, after he felt he was being attacked publicly following his firing, yeah, he he leaked he leaked some of his notes. Non, um, they they weren't super, they weren't secret. They weren't classified. But he leaked um, versions of his notes to indirectly to the press. So here's the uh, tweet that President Trump comes out with this morning. Despite so many false statements and lies, total and complete vindication. And wow, Comey is a leaker. That was uh, five ten a.m. this morning. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage talk and text line. President Trump, his statement is, despite so many false statements and lies, total and complete vindication. And wow, Comey is a leaker. All right. If you had a chance to watch any or all of James Comey's testimony yesterday, do you think it offered the president complete and total vindication? And was Comey... Made to look bad. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this if you can't guess, and we'll discuss. But the president is claiming complete and total vindication. He's declaring victory. Nothing to see here. Do you buy that? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 843. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 
It's 846. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, l- let's let's be clear here. I'm not sure anybody comes out of yesterday's testimony smelling like a rose. I, I, I don't. I mean, I think for the director of the former director of the FBI, the idea that he leaked notes, that does not reflect very well on him. But at the same time, and I understand for people who are extreme Trump, Trump loyalists who you know want to believe everything – the president does not look good. There, there's just no question about it. I mean, I'm I, I, I'm looking at the headlines and all the various different papers. New York Times for Trump, the cloud that that the cloud just grew that much darker because I mean, I mean, here's the upshot of what this testimony is. I mean, the testimony is that um, James Comey was fired because he would not come out and publicly state that Trump was not under investigation. And his refusal to, to do that um, is is what gets him fired, and that makes Trump look like kind of a petulant bully. You then couple it with his claims, Comey's claims, that Trump and other people in the administration lied about the reason for firing him, and you do have this dark cloud. The president's claiming complete and total vindication. Look, I, I'm, I'm not sure I heard I, – I did not hear anything impeachable. I didn't hear any crimes. But, again, I heard a situation of something that nobody in the White House should be proud of and complete and total vindication. I, I'm wondering, is there an alternative reality here? Victor in Milwaukee. Victor, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. And how are you doing? I am doing well, thank you. What do you think? Great. Well, this is what I think. First of all, I did watch the uh, – the whole show, Comey versus Trump. And I think the senators that were on the panel did a good job of questioning Comey. And I think they brought out things that are possibly, possibly now impeachable with Trump. However, if you, did you watch the whole thing or not? Uh, well, I, I read, I didn't watch the whole thing because I was on the air, but I saw summaries of, I, I watched, I listened to a good portion of it in the beginning, and then I've read descriptions and summaries of the whole thing. Yeah, and I watched the whole thing, and there was a lot of it where uh, Comey has said that he cannot talk about this in this public forum and that he could talk about it later privately. Right. So that's the thing that the public is not going to know. You know, it's like, okay, well, I thought they were going to bring everything out. No, you can't talk about it in public. Okay, so we don't know for sure until it comes out sure. later. And so I think that's what's going to happen. I do think that there will be an impeachable offense coming out of this. And... uh who knows? I don't know because it's difficult because they didn't bring anything out. Well, what, 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 in your mind, Victor, what would the impeachable offense be? Obstruction of justice? Absolutely. Okay. That's, okay. That's All right. Thanks for coming. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I, I guess the, the reason I'm hesitant about that is I didn't. He- obstruction of justice is a very, very difficult thing to allege and an even more difficult thing to prove beyond a a reasonable doubt. First of all, here's the truth of the matter. As long as the Republicans control Congress, um, there's not going to be an impeachment of Donald Trump. That's just not going to happen unless there's some smoking gun that emerges that it certainly doesn't seem to me they had. The the president saying, hey, you know, Michael Flynn's a nice guy. You know, he's, he's a good guy. 
That's that's not obstruction of justice. Like I say, I mean, I think from a constitutional perspective, the president of the United States, who has the ability to pardon people, I mean, keep in mind, the president, I mean, what Bill Clinton, you know, gives one of his, you know, fugitive billionaire financier donor buddies, I mean, gives him a pardon on the way out of office. You know, that, that's, that would be much more, if that were something that would rise to the level of obstru- obstruction of justice, that would be something a lot closer to it. I did not hear obstruction of justice. What I heard was behavior that I think was unseemly. And, and I guess that's where I'm looking at it. I don't think it's impeachable, but at the same time, it, it it's it's not behavior that cast that I, that I think reflects well on President Trump, because um, you know you just don't have the President of the United States trying to strong arm you know the director of the FBI with regard to um, investigations. Let's talk to Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Well, the thing we learned yesterday, Jeff, was that uh, all the, the narrative of, of the drumbeat media about collusion with Russia was refuted. Yep. And no one's talking about that. So, yep. so how can the cloud be darkening? Uh, the cloud's darkening over media. And, you know, you think, you think Obama didn't push people around? I mean, it's part of the deal. So this selective outrage at Trump is so tiresome. Well, I, mean, I, I agree would, with they you. They would look at anything that, that Hillary Clinton did and that Obama did prior with the same lens that they have focused on Trump, we'd see a lot more uh, goods coming. So you you don't have you let, let let's forget the let's forget the Hillary and the Obama thing for a second. You don't have and again and I agree with you. The pivot is now away from the collusion and the Russia. Now immediately the Democrats are are, are are pivoting to the obstruction of justice thing. You don't have a problem if Trump was trying to lean on the director of the FBI to kill an investigation or to um, comment publicly on his role and clear him? You don't have a problem with that? Yes, yes, I do have a problem okay. with that. Absolutely. Okay. All right, no, okay, but for... I'm not sure that's not proven. And, no. and, and Comey has broken the law by leaking. Yeah. So, you know, let's turn this back on him and turn this back on the, the people I... who are investigating it. Investigate the investigators, that's what I say. Okay, well, see, and again, that, that's why I said at the beginning, I don't think Comey comes out of this. Some people are portraying him as a hero. I, I don't see him in that light to be honest with you if he because i mean truthfully if he was so offended if he thought that he was really being strong-armed and pressured the thing to do if you're a responsible public official is to resign mr president i i can't work under these circumstances he he did not do that so i mean he was willing to play the game and then when i hear after the fact that he's leaking information he wants to get his story out so he's surreptitiously doing this you know getting it in the hands of the media again i don't, I don't think comey comes into this with clean hands so I, I, I kind of looked at this and said a pox on all their houses. But at the same time, the, the behavior that I don't think is being really contested by, by President Trump in these meetings, that's, that's, not, something, that's not something that helps him. It, it really isn't. Um, Lisa in New Berlin. Lisa, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Um, I, I guess I'm just um, a little confused as to why everybody thinks that Trump was vindicated by this. Well, he thinks he was. He, he's the one that says he was vindicated, yes, but people believe right. it, yeah. Well, but, I mean, they, he did say that the campaign was under investigation for collusion, not Trump himself. Right. But that's Trump's campaign to get him elected, just like I'm sure Hillary Clinton didn't personally put a, a server to send these emails on she had someone else do it for her it's her her staff and so that was my first point um my second point is 
he's abusing power. I mean, that's we don't have a dictatorship. We that's just not how it works. Well, okay, what do you, when you say abusing his power, what do you what are you referring to? The, the In my con- opinion, well, like he, by by essentially firing Comey after he didn't do what he wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, to to take that on because he, mm-hmm. you know, didn't blatantly. You know, yeah. defy his own ethical standards. I mean, that's abusing power, in my opinion. I, yeah. I don't know the laws. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably not. I mean, I don't think it's an impeachable offense. And my guess is right. that my guess is that uh, elect well, senators or congressmen or presidents do that all the time if they have one of their subordinates who you know isn't going to be willing to do what they want to do. And I don't think that's an impeachable offense. But I do agree with you, Lisa. I think it's unseemly. I think a lot of people are going to look at that and say, even if it's not a crime, even if it's not a, an impeachable offense, what are you doing strong-arming or trying to strong-arm or demand loyalty pledges from the director of the FBI? I, that, right. That, 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 I think that's the darker cloud that I think right. that, that I would refer to. Yeah. Right. And then can I just make one last point? Sure. Um, his tweet, I mean, I can't even believe he's, he's still tweeting, but to say that this guy lied, that Comey lied, and gave all these, you yeah. know, false statements. But I was vindicated at the same time. I mean, who is, yeah. somebody needs to be reading these tweets before he pushes submit, because he just <laughs> sounds like foolish. I mean, I don't understand. Well, I mean, it is, I mean, thanks for, there, there is clearly an alternative reality, and that's one of the things that's been interesting to me over the last several months, and I, I know I irritate a lot of you on both sides, because if you're one of these hate Trumpers, you're unhappy that I don't hate Donald Trump all the time, and if you're one of these Donald Trump can do no wrong people, I irritate you because I, I, I think that there's a lot of stuff that he's done that has been mishandled at, at best. Um, so I, I hear from from both sides. This is another one of these classic examples of it. I did not. I, first of all, I don't think James Comey is a hero. I, I don't think he necessarily covered himself with glory. I think he came across as vindictive and petulant yesterday to an extent. And I, I lost a lot of respect when I found out that he was one of the ones who decided to surreptitiously leak stuff. That being said, um, I, I think a lot of his testimony, which I believe is probably correct, at least viewed through his prism, doesn't put President Trump in a very positive light. And to claim that it was a complete and total vindication, I, I think that's an example of an alternative reality as well. It's 8.56. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 909, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number two, it might be one of the greatest political miscalculations ever. I'm talking about the decision by the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, to call an election three years early. Here, It did not work out as she planned. Here's the way it works in, in Great Britain. I know we've talked about this before, but for people who might not be familiar with it, um, in, in Great Britain... You do not elect the prime minister. The public does not elect the prime minister directly. It's not like we vote for president here. What you do is you vote for your individual member of parliament, like a congressman. And then what happens is there's a variety of parties. There's two major political parties in Britain. There's the conservative party, 
think Republican. There's the Labor Party, think Democrat. But then, unlike this country, there are a number of smaller, if you want to call them third parties, smaller parties, that typically pick up some seats. So it's not all Republican. It's not all Democrat. But but the major ones are the Conservative Party and the, the Labor Party, which is the Liberal Party. What ends up happening then is you have these different elections, like you would elect congressmen here, and then the party that wins the most seats forms the government. They select one of their leaders to be the prime minister. So you don't vote directly on the prime minister. Now, the way it works is in order to form a government, you need 326 seats. In 2015, the last time Britain had a had, a, had an election, the Conservative Party, the Tories, picked up 330 seats. So just in their party, they had enough members to elect the prime minister and to form the government. Now, some of these, like smaller parties, these splinter parties that might have five or ten seats, they will also align with the majority party. So, But what happened was, so you had the, the former government had 330 seats, plus a couple of the smaller parties that were aligned with them. All right, uh, back in 2015, you also, like last year, 2016, you had Brexit. The decision um, where the great the voters in Great Britain and the United Kingdom decided they wanted to leave the European Union. That was opposed by the former prime minister, David Cameron. He, he said, I don't think this is a good idea. When voters decided that they wanted to go ahead with Brexit, Cameron stepped down. She said, OK, I, I just I don't think I'm the guy to lead this transition. And that's where Theresa May became the prime minister. She was, again, a member of the Conservative Party. She had three years left on the term. The way it works in Britain is you, you can call elections pretty much at any time, um, but you have up to five years to do it. So six weeks ago, Theresa May figured she's looking at all these polls and she says, hey, um, my party, the conservatives, we're more popular than ever. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to announce elections. And we're going to have elections because we've got 330 seats now. I think based on this polling and based on where we are, we're going to pick up a bunch more seats. It will give me more support in Parliament, and it will make it easier for me to do this Brexit type of stuff. So with three years remaining theoretically on her term, she declares elections. All right, that's the plan. Well, the plan doesn't work out so well because there's a couple dynamics going on. The leader of the Labor Party, the opposition, this guy named Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn, he is, he's like Bernie Sanders on steroids. The, the guy is a, an avowed, dyed-in-the-wool socialist. And there's a lot of people that just considered him to be a flat-out kook. And that was part of the rationale that you know people in Great Britain they're they're not going to support the, this social they're not going to support this guy who's this flat out kook. Well, what's happened over the last six weeks? First of all, you've got um, increasing resentment towards Donald Trump and the Labor Party. They've been you know they've been trying to foment that they've been saying, look, you know we don't want to get in bed with Donald Trump, and a lot of people in Great Britain agree with that. On top of that. You have had a series of terrorist attacks. 
Now, I don't know that there's anything about the Labor Party and this dyed-in-the-wool socialist which would make you think that they're going to be any more able to deal with terrorism than the conservative government. But still, it's one of these, all right, this happened on your watch. Maybe we can do better. So, I mean, I, I think the Trump factor, in addition, I think the different terrorist activities had people on edge. Plus, there is this kind of appeal of the, the socialists, and they went after young people, and they were saying, okay, you know, here, here's, we need you to mobilize and vote because we, we've got to end austerity in, in Britain, and we want, you know, more stuff for, for everybody. And the election was yesterday. What happened was a stunning, a stunning defeat for the Conservative Party. Like I say, when they started off, before the election, they had 330 seats. You need 326. They had 330. After the election yesterday, they are now down to 318, maybe 317, 317 or 318. It's kind of unclear yet. Um, the Labor Party picked up about 30 seats. So it was while the conservatives won, and they still have a plurality, they've got 317 or 300. Yeah, 317 to 318. There was one, I know, some reports say three, Hondo is telling me 318. Okay, BBC is now saying 318. There was one that was undecided. Okay, we'll go with 318. 318. They've still lost 12 seats. Labor picked up in the neighborhood of 30. So the strategy that will pick up seats did not work. What's more, they're short of the majority. You know, you need 326 to form a, a government. So now what's going to have to happen is they're going to, in order to be able to form the government, they're going to have to cut a deal with one of these minor parties. And there's a there's a party up in Northern Ireland called the, the you know, DUP, Democratic Union Party, or something like that. They have like 10 seats, and they're thinking that they'll be able to cut a deal with them to allow them to form the government. But the bottom line of all this is this election calculation was really, really, I mean, they did couldn't account for events, they couldn't account for the Trump factor, and they badly misjudged uh, the ability of, I guess, the, the socialist candidates to try to capture, capture, like, the youth quake and the youth vote, and apparently lots of new registrations, and that's what happened. So even while labor, you know, lost the election, they still have lots fewer seats, they picked up a lot of seats, and it's being declared as a victory. Here's what this means for us. It's going to be more difficult to deal with Great Britain because of the results of this. I think clearly you're going to have a lot of, even if they're able to form a government, a lot of the British government's going to be more and more reluctant right now to get in bed with President Trump, figuratively speaking, because I think they view this this election partly as a repudiation of that. Also, there's a growing socialist movement in Great Britain, which could very well change a number of their policies. And, I mean, I understand that we've got this sort of socialist movement that's uh, under that has some underpinnings in this country as well, but it really came out and manifested itself yesterday. So I don't think there's anything particularly good that came out of this election. But it does also show, we talk about Russia meddling with the election results in this country, this was terrorism, in my opinion. First and foremost, these were the terrorists impacting 
a country's elections, not by hacking into systems, not by trying to manipulate voting, but rather by conducting terrorist activities that put the population on edge and had them looking for a change. So I I think this election is going to go down as the pro-socialist, terrorist-influenced election. And candidly, I don't think it's good for this country. Coming up next, big thing number three, should she rot in jail? Stick around. It's 918. It's 920, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, today is our day of honor. Uh, today marks the day of honor as Stars and Stripes Honor Flight takes its 5,000th veteran to the nation's capital. John McCure is traveling with them and is reporting back all day. Matter of fact, John is going to join us um, right after the 11 o'clock news. I think he's scheduled for 11.07. Keep listening all day for more stories from our American heroes throughout the day, and especially during Wisconsin's afternoon news, beginning at 3 o'clock here on WTMJ. I, I tell you honestly, um, in all the years I've worked here at WTMJ, there's a lot of different different things and causes uh, that we've we've been involved in. And I think, you know, Clearly, Stars and Stripes Honor Flight, you know, going back to the original, you know, genesis for the idea. That's one of the things I think a lot of us here are extremely proud of. And today, the Day of Honor, 5,000th veteran being taken to the nation's capital by Honor Flight. And uh, again, John is with him, and he'll be calling in and reporting back. So keep listening all day. All right, big story number three. It's not getting better for Reality Winner. Reality Winner, who names their kid that? I mean, really, that that's just, okay, Hondo, just, I mean, it's one thing to call your child Hondo Jr. It's another thing, you know, reality winner. Okay, well, reality winner is anything but that. She's 25 years old. This is the woman who um, got a job as, as a contractor with this company in Augusta, Georgia, a government contractor, Pluribus International Corporation. She's only worked there since February. Apparently, what happened is um, she had a, security clearance, had access to classified information and um, stole that information and distributed it to this Internet news uh, outlet called The Intercept, and they then published uh, a national security agency report that detailed Russian cyber attacks in the days before the 2016 election. Um, there's, I mean, there's a couple issues here. First of all, we all understand that Russia, I think we should all understand right now, that Russia was trying to screw around with our election process. That is a big deal. Authorities need to deal with that. I don't downplay that. But at the same time, people with security clearances, 25-year-old people with security clearances shouldn't be the ones making the decision what government documents are going to be made public and what government documents aren't going to be made public. And I think her background raises a number of questions. How did she get the security clearance in the first place? What sort of oversight is there to make sure that people don't do this? And that's what we need to learn moving forward. Well, all right, she's now been charged. She's looking at 10 years in prison for doing this. And she's become, in the eyes of some, a martyr. Yesterday, she had a hearing, and she was denied bail. She's being held without bail as a national security risk. And what the government is saying is that apparently they've learned information that she was in the Air Force for like five years beforehand, and apparently they're now coming up with information indicating that um, she took a thumb drive and inserted into one of the government's top-secret computers 
and downloaded a whole bunch of other information. They don't know exactly what it is that she stole, and they don't know what, if anything, she's done with this. But apparently this is not the first time that she has done something like this. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you follow this case on the Internet, there's a number of people out there who view her as a victim. She's a whistleblower. She has concerns. She doesn't like Donald Trump. She has concerns about the government direction. She doesn't think that we're being digressive enough in going after Russian involvement. What she did was an act of patriotism by releasing these confidential NSA documents. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sorry, she is not a patriot. In my view, she is a criminal, and she deserves to be held without bail. And if and when she is convicted, she deserves to go to prison for several years. You cannot have 25-year-old employees of defense contractors who somehow have access to confidential documents making the decision as to what they're going to leak and take, go public with and what they're not going to go public with. I think she deserves to be in prison. Is she a hero or a criminal? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 928, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I am as concerned about anybody if the Russian government was trying to monkey around in our electoral process, and I think they clearly were. That's one issue. But I am also concerned if you have 25-year-old defense contractors with access to confidential information deciding what national security documents should be made public and what shouldn't. This reality Lee winner deserves to be in prison. She's not a hero. Marty in Hales Corners. Marty, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Long-time listener, first-time caller. This motivated I, uh, you to pick up the phone. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, uh, the fact is is that considering what you said, that you belonged to the uh, U.S. Armed Forces and the Air Force at one point, she, had, she, yeah. took an oath, she took an oath. She understands what an oath means. When she left and got a job as a defense contractor for a private company, she probably took a comp- signed a confidentiality agreement, sure. or she took another oath not to divulge secrets that she might have access to. So there you have low to no integrity which is troubling enough, but definitely criminal act, definitely. Yeah, see, I don't, I mean, th- this one isn't even close. And, and there's, again, there's some people out there who, you know, hate the Trump administration and, and think he was un, he was elected because of Russian meddling, and we need to undermine that, and we need to, you know, explore everything that there is out there with regard to the Russian involvement. And I have no question there was Russian involvement, but, but this is, these are security documents. It's two different issues 25-year-old defense contractor shouldn't be making the decision about what classified information gets to go to the media and what doesn't. It's not her job. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for calling. And, I mean, some people are calling it treason. Well, it, it's – I mean – Treason is very, very difficult to prove. Treason requires that you did something with the intent essentially to give aid and comfort to the enemy. I, I don't know that that's in this particular case. I think there are some situations where people who do 
have leaks or make leaks of classified information, it probably does qualify as treason. This one, based on what I'm reading, doesn't strike to me that it is a treasonable offense, but at the same time, it is still a crime. It's a crime to take classified information and to disclose it. And I think it is troubling if it turns out that while she was working for the Air Force, and you look at this woman's website, I mean, I, I do wonder how she got a security clearance because it's clear she's a whack job. It's just clear from, you know, the, the website and the things she's posting that she's a hardcore political activist slash extremist slash whack job. And you would have thought that there would have been some red flags that came up. But because she had some background in the Air Force and because she spoke a couple languages, my guess is that they didn't look at anything else. And now you're learning the dangers of this. If anything good is going to come out of it, I think it's got to be perhaps the idea that maybe we need to be more circumspect as to who we give security clearances to. It's 9.35, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. I really like that new bumper music, Hondo. really like it. It's uh, kind of going back to, to music of my time. Uh, Lido Shuffle. Can't go wrong with that. All right. Uh, this is the high school graduation season. More on that a little bit later on. My niece, Sydney, love you, hon. She is graduating from Pewaukee High School this evening. I will be sitting in the stands with my nephew. It's... Uh, there's apparently there's there's so many kids that it's it's in the gym so there's there's reserve seating but you only get like two reserve seats so that goes obviously to dad and mom so my 10 year old nephew and I we're we're getting there when the doors open so we can get a good space in the bleachers so I'm gonna be I'm sitting in the I'm sitting in the bleachers tonight I'm 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 in the euchre seats and stuff but that's fine very very proud of uh, very proud of my niece um, who's graduating. All right, high school graduation is obviously a big thing. Here is the story. This comes from Crown Point, Indiana. Okay, there, there's a young man. His name is Jacob Dalton Stanley. He graduated in December from Crown Point High School, and he enlisted. So he graduated early, and he enlisted in the Marines. All right, he completed Marine boot camp. On last Friday, a week ago today, his graduation ceremony was Tuesday, a couple days ago. So he completes boot camp last Friday. He flies home to attend the senior class graduation ceremony. Um, he, he shows up in his, his military, his dress blues, because he's now a Marine. He's entitled to wear them. And the principal at the school told him he's not allowed to wear his uniform at the, the graduation. Um, he decided, well, I'm, I'm going to wear my, my dress blues anyway. Um, now, interestingly, at a neighboring school, in the neighboring school district, the next school district over, there's a woman who goes to Hobart High School. She was the same situation. She was an early graduate and a Marine, um, and she shows up, same circumstance. You know, She's in her dress uniform, and the school embraces this. They say, hey, this year was especially nice because she graduated midterm, and this landed just in time for the graduation ceremony. We think this is great. You know, We want to honor this student. Well, anyhow, the, the one kid was denied the right to um, walk across the stage. Now, here's the story. Some graduating Crown Point High School seniors, parents, and community members are expressing outrage because a graduate was not allowed to walk across the stage Tuesday and accept his diploma while in his military uniform, especially since 
the neighboring school, they allowed this to happen. And as a matter of fact, they embraced it. The the folks at the school that said no, um, they essentially said, um, we have continued wearing the traditional ground, gown, and as this is the last formal event of the year and a celebration of the time of graduating seniors who spent at the high school, the tradition is not intended to be disrespectful to students, um, but at the same time, um, while we're grateful for their service, you know, we want this consistency, so everybody has to wear gowns. All right, 414. 414- 799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Now, there's a number of different stories here. Young man graduates early. He's entitled to participate in graduation. He's enlisted in the military. He completes boot camp. He has the right to wear his dress blues. He comes back. They tell him, you're not going to be allowed to do that. He nevertheless shows up in his dress blues, and they don't allow him to go across the stage. So he had, in fact, been been warned that he would not be allowed to participate if he showed up. The military, by the way, does not have a policy one way or the other on this. What they say is it, it's, up to, it, it's up to the individual school. If, the, in this case, the soldier wants to wear them and it's okay with the school, it's not a violation of any military protocol. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage talk and text line. Did the school district make the right decision in denying this young man the permission or the right to wear his dress blues at the graduation ceremony? Now, he was put on notice, and, you know, and he chose to you know, show up anyways. So, I mean, I'm not sure that he has a complaint about, gee, they surprised me with this. But what about this overall policy? There's nothing that says that the school districts have to follow this. Like I say, a neighboring school district embraced a young woman who was in the same situation. For the perspective of participating in high school graduations, all right, should the school say, nope, You've got to wear the traditional cap and gown, the idea being, I think, presumably, we don't want you standing out from the rest of the crowd, everybody looking the same. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand my take on this. I understand that you have rules and you have rules. But you know what? I think, especially in today's day and age, I don't think any of the students would have minded any of his graduating seniors. I don't think any of them would have minded. I don't think that the parents would have minded. I don't think the grandparents would have minded. I think this is a stupid rule, and I think that the principal should have said, all right, in this particular case, yes, we're going to let you wear your dress blues. And if the concern is, what about other people that that graduate early? What about somebody that graduates early and starts a career as a minor league baseball player? Would you let them show up and walk across the stage in their baseball uniform? My answer would be no, but getting out of Marine boot camp is different than being a minor league baseball player or whatever. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the school was really, really wrong here. Should they have let the young Marine wear his dress blues at the graduation ceremony? All right, we're back to discuss in just a couple moments. If you're on the line, please hold on. We'll discuss. It's 942. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 946, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, here's the story. A young man graduates from high school early. Last December, uh, enlisted in the Marines, completed boot camp last Friday. 
His high school graduation was last Tuesday. So he flies back. Um, he wants to participate. He wants to wear his Marine dress blues. And the principal of the school says, nope, you, you got to wear your, your gown. And he um, he's denied. that he, he says, no, I want to wear my dress blues. And they say, no, if you're wearing your dress blues, you, you can't participate. So he is not allowed because of this rule that the or it's actually a decision made by the principal he's not allowed to walk across the stage get his diploma and because he wants to wear his dress blues interestingly neighboring school district they had the exact same situation with a woman who graduated early they embrace her wearing her dress blues i think this principal was nuts jeff in milwaukee jeff you're on 620 wtmj good morning good morning great show thanks you know this is ridiculous um our our country is becoming so politically correct if this is a political stance. But what these kids should do is go out and all everybody get dressed blues <laughs> and show up. I mean, you know, we have so many other problems in this world, and they're nitpicking over a graduation. This man's defending our country, and right. they want a him and haw. That's that's well, it, my big beef. Well, you know? no, it is. No, I'm, Jeff, thanks for calling. I mean, I'm, I guess I see. Here's the thing. I, I mean, if they're afraid that this opens the door, like I was saying to you know other early graduates who are in professions, and uh, the, I'm using the, the minor league baseball player. You know, no, you you don't have to say it. Being in the military service, that's different. That's different than these other things, and I think you would embrace it. And again, I'm willing to bet that if you ask the graduating students. Everyone or almost everyone would have embraced this. What is the purpose? I mean, I guess the concern is, well, we don't want this young man to stand out. Well, okay. I I mean, if I was part of that graduating class, I'd say, hey, I'm glad he's come back. I mean, this is super. We're glad to have him participate. Yeah, that's cool that he's already advanced his career. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Um, This principal is a moron. This kid is making a great sacrifice. and A lot of those kids are going to be going off to college. He's chosen to uh, serve his country. And he's going into the Corps, which I I come from a long line of Marines, and they are the tip of the spear. So more than likely, this kid's going to be in combat somewhere within a year uh, of graduating. So if he wants to wear his dress blues, this isn't a minor league baseball team he's playing for. This is the United States of America. And, you know, God forbid and and Godspeed for this kid for his, his, what he's got ahead of him. But Right, it is. He's he's making a great sacrifice, and if we can't recognize that and honor that, then something's wrong. Right, exactly. And and I guess, and see, I I mean, I always try to see both sides of it. And candidly, I'm having trouble seeing the other side of it, Mike. Other than you allow this young man to perhaps stand out among the other graduates. But you know, my guess is when you're bringing other graduates across the stage, you know, if somebody graduated with honors or highest honors or whatever, you're you're going to, you know, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. They're they're wearing the courts. Exactly. They're, They're there's going to be different ways to recognize that. Now, admittedly, maybe that's slightly different because it's accomplishments while they were in high school. But, you know, this is one where what what is what is the harm? Okay, let's just look at our text line quickly. Um, Brenton in Milwaukee writes, 20-year Army vet, former um, drill instructor. The school could have made an exception to this obnoxious and ridiculous rule. Again, I, I said it was a rule. It might not have even been. This was in the discretion of the principal, and the principal just decided 
no, we're not going to do it. Um, he continues, this is a sense of accomplishment for him um, to complete boot camp. Um, yeah. Um, Ed and Cedarberg writes, the school should have let the soldier walk in his graduation ceremony as Marine dress blues. That should have been an exception to the school's rule that does not happen all the time. We should embrace and accommodate our military when our can. Uh, we can. Chris writes, it's crazy they didn't let him walk. He's a Marine. How is that disrespecting the gown more uh, PC baloney? Um, all right. Dan writes, I and my ROTC classmates graduated from Marquette in uniform as we were commissioned earlier that day. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, seriously, um, you know, what's what's going on? Let's talk to Brian in Racine. Brian, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Brian. If that was my son that just graduated from Marine boot camp and they wouldn't let him wear the gown, I would say, okay, wear your gown over your dress blues, and the second you get that diploma in your hand, <laughs> rip the gown off, turn around, and salute the principal. <laughs> right. And then, and you know what would happen? If he would have done that, everybody would have been applauding. I mean, everybody exactly. would have gone wild with that. Exactly. I- you know, I, you know, and and obviously, you know, see, in this case, the, the, what happened is the kid asked permission, I guess, to do it in the first place, and and was denied. So maybe he would have been better off just doing this. But he he wanted to approach it in a way with honesty and integrity, and obviously more common sense than the principal displayed here. Yes. I, I th- now thanks. I guess in today's day and age, where we have. You know, so many concerns. What's the matter with young people today? You know, they're, 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 we, we hear that so often that where you have where you have a kid who's off there, you know, doing doing the right thing, and who wants to go and serve his country. And as a couple of you made the point, you know, put his life on, on the line, and he he comes back. He flies back specifically to participate in the graduation. And, and yes, I understand that allowing him to wear his dress blues would have singled him out from the other graduates. But you know what? He graduated early. He's at a different stage of his life. And I guess I look at this and I say, all right, it's important to him to do this. What is the downside of it? And the truth is, there's no downside. And witness the evidence at, you know, at a, at a neighboring school district. Another principal says, hey, this is outstanding. You know, let him come on. 952, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And some of these principals and modern educators wonder why people hold them in disdain. 952, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 55, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. As long as we're talking about graduation stories, um, snowflake alert. All right, there's there's this man. His name is he's Dr. Kent Medlin, and he is the retiring school superintendent at Willard High School for, for the school district in Missouri. He, so he's retiring. He gave a, a graduation address at the Willard High School graduation. Now, he's retiring. He's been there for like 15 years. He had announced he was retiring at the end of the month. He He's the graduation speaker, all right? So what he does is, as part of his speech, he he tells the students that to um, you know, succeed in life, he, he's, got, he's got an acronym. It's called GUTS. GRIT, that's the G, U, understand, T in teamwork, and S. Okay, well, grit, understand, and teamwork is okay. It's the S that got him in trouble. The S stands for savior. 
and he talks about how he said, look, I think it is important. He said, everybody needs somebody or something that will guide you to the finish line. And for me, S stands for Savior. And apparently what, what he does, now he's given a speech, is he asks people to stand up and join him in a brief prayer, which most people do. All right, so that that's fine. He, he's But he, he's giving the commencement address. After this happens, a group, group of graduating seniors demand that he apologize after he credited his Savior and asked the crowd to stand him in prayer. The students allege that they are offended. I didn't go to my graduation to have to go to church. And a handful of these little snowflakes start complaining that, that he, as the speaker, did that. I came there to graduate and not go to church. It kind of ruined the rest of my night, Preston Schaefer complained to the newspaper. That was the last night of my high school experience, and he chose to talk about religion instead of graduation. No snowflake. What he was trying to do is give you at least what he thought was important for you to succeed in life. Now... <laughs> I, I look at this, and what the school district has done is there's not a lot they can do. They apparently um, suspended him, so now he is going to be you know, retiring. He's going to be on paid leave of absence through the end of his contract, which is the end of this month. So the, the school board has disciplined him for these various remarks. I guess he, here's what struck me about this story, though, is you have these little snowflakes that are so unhappy. My graduation was ruined. The commencement was ruined because this man had the audacity to make reference to a higher power and ask people to pray. Oh, this was just terrible. It wrecked my entire night. Now, all right, look, maybe you don't agree. Maybe you're agnostic. You know, maybe you're an atheist. That's fine. But really, your graduation ceremony, the event was ruined because of these references I'm telling you something. Wagner's rule of life, number one, comes into play big time. Snowflakes, you know, life is tough. Get a helmet. And if this is going to drive you over the bend, well, okay, maybe you, maybe you just need to figure out how you're going to deal with the everyday stuff. So anyhow, the guy is retiring. There's not a lot the school district can do to him. But my reaction is really based on the reactions of a handful of the people who were offended, appalled, and it ruined their night. <sighs> Give me strength. It's 959. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1008. This is Jeff Wagner. We will be talking to John McCure. He is in Washington, D.C. with the uh, Stars and Stripe Honor Flight as part of our Days of Honor. He's going to join us in about an hour or so, 1135. We have our weekend review, a lot of stuff to talk about. We do not go gently into the good weekend on this program. And it is going to be a good weekend. A little bit warm. Uh, temperatures in the 80s and 90s, but that's okay. That's okay. I never complain about warm weather here. All right. I know you might disagree with me on this issue, but we will have a discussion. Um, I appreciate that in urban areas, you need to be careful when it comes to fireworks. I, I, I get that. And, of course, you had the horrible story a few years back when you had the, the guys in Cudahy that had stolen, what, some, like, military munitions and were shooting them off and had the uh, one of them landed on that factory roof and set the thing on fire um, at, at the, the plant. I, I understand the Patrick Cudahy plant, right, and, and caused all this damage. So I understand that you have to be careful in urban areas. Um, the law on fireworks in this state is kind of, it's very confusing and it's sort of a, a mess because there are certain communities and you know 
as a general rule, fireworks are illegal in a lot of places. Um, but you, you drive up and down, for example, you know, 94, and you see the big fireworks things that are out there, and, and, and you think, well, if these are illegal, how, how can I... Why, how can I buy them? Well, the truth is they're not illegal everywhere. And when you go to buy some fireworks, a lot of times you, you pay for a permit. And people don't understand that that permit doesn't give you permission to you know use the fireworks in areas where communities have bans on them. Um, I also agree that there's certain types of fireworks that I don't think should be in urban areas. In Milwaukee County, as a general rule, the rule is that no no fireworks if it flies like bottle rockets it's illegal if it explodes like firecrackers it is illegal and if it sparkles it is illegal as a general rule in milwaukee county and i don't know i'm not going to say definitively this applies to every jurisdiction every municipality but i think it applies to most of them sparklers are against the law now i i what what brought this up was that there was a, a press conference that they had the, the other day. And, of course, I, the, the, in juxtaposing this with Milwaukee, all right, the, the city of Milwaukee, which is, in many respects, it is a shooting gallery. I mean, how many how, how many homicides were there you know, yesterday? I mean, if they're finding bodies right and left, there's people being shot right and left. You've got, what, you know, thousands of people who are committing all sorts of serious traffic violations and driving away from the cops, and they're allowed to go. But we had a press conference the other day about sparklers, and uh, city officials, you know, came out including some aldermen, and reminded everybody that, you know, sparkler, that that fireworks in general are illegal. Citations for adults are 700 For juveniles, they're $94. And that, you know, the emphasis was that fireworks are potentially dangerous. It's against the law, and they're also so dangerous. Now, I, again, I understand in urban areas where houses are close together, bottle rockets, yeah, you don't necessarily want people shooting off bottle rockets that land on somebody's roof and start a fire. Okay, I, I get it. I, I also understand that maybe with the firecrackers, especially the big ones, all right, maybe you know people can get hurt. But, but the law also applies to sparklers. Now, I look. I don't want children getting hurt. I I, I don't. I, I I don't. And I, I appreciate this. Um, one of the aldermen uh, says sparklers themselves. The temperature they reach can almost melt melt metal, so you can imagine what damage the children can be done to the children's fingers and hands. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand when I was growing up, there was lots of things that we did that people would be appalled at now. I grew up, Hondo, I hope you're sitting down. I grew up playing lawn darts, you know, jarts and stuff. You know, the, the things that now, now it's like on the top of the band. My younger brother and I, we would go out in the side lawn of my house in Glendale. And you know what? We threw jarts. That's, you know, we threw these lawn darts. And we didn't really throw them at each other. We knew that they could cause hazards. And somehow, both my brother and I survived. My guess is that maybe you were able to do some of the same sorts of things and survive. All right, so I mean, I, I understand that there's it's a different time, and we need to protect people from ourselves. I also understand that, for example, if you've got a kid that's running around with a sparkler and they trip and they fall, they can burn themselves and end up in the emergency room. I, I get that, but I want to talk about the ban on sparklers. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this something that is necessary? 
for the protection of the general public, or is this nanny is this the nanny state going too far? Now I have a confession to make. Um, for years, I have gone to a Fourth of July party. At the Fourth of July party, um, there's lots of of kids. Um, you know, young kids, and I'm talking about, you know, ages, I don't know, from infant to like 10 or 11 years old. And I also have a confession, I hope you're sitting down here, that at at that party, there have been uh, grandparents who actually have brought sparklers. And what they will do is they will light the sparklers or allow some of the children, not not the two and three year olds, but you know, six, seven, eight, nine, the ten year olds, to light the sparklers and to run around the backyard with them. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I, and I'm not sure what the rules of the particular community I am in that, that where the, the grandparents do this. But you know what? I appreciate that, you know, we, we don't we want everybody to be safe. But is make are making sparklers illegal? Is that going too far? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Candidly, with all the things going on in Milwaukee, I would rather have us concentrating on I don't know stopping the people from running around with guns and shooting each other than worrying about whether a ten-year-old with supervision of adults is running around in their backyard with a sparkler. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Am I being just, oh, this is this callous guy who doesn't realize that, you know, kids could get burned? Yeah, I realize kids could get burned. But you know what? There's all sorts of things that kids could do to hurt themselves. And I think sometimes we go way too far. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. It's 1016. It's 1018, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A middle school teacher is facing backlash after he flips off the White House during a class trip to Washington, D.C. Should he face punishment for his actions? Get the whole story and weigh in later today during Scafidi and Bilstadt at 1235. All right, on our text line. Lori from Milwaukee texts, I am normally a law-abiding citizen, but I indulge in civil disobedience each year by lighting sparklers. Like you, Jeff, I also survived jarts. Press conference this week, officials in Milwaukee reminding people that essentially all fireworks are illegal. As Essentially, all fireworks are illegal. doesn't matter if you bought them in those places in Racine County or Kenosha. They're illegal as a general rule to shoot off in Milwaukee bottle rockets, firecrackers, sparklers against the law. I understand bottle rockets. I understand firecrackers. But really, sparklers? Come on. Heather in New Berlin. Heather, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the same page with you. I think sparklers is really pushing it. Um, and just like the, the texter before me said, you know, I understand bottle rockets. You don't know where they're going to land. It can be hazard to, to your neighbors and things like that, regardless of where you live. But, you know, with sparklers, I think it's a general understanding that adult supervision would sure. be required for younger kids. So, sure. you know, to just put a, a blanket ban on them. And, I, I, you know, I just think that's really pushing it. Well, okay, let me let, let me play devil's advocate with you, Heather. Um, there, 
we would I would never let for example if if I was over at a house and there were eight eight year olds around I would never let them run around with with scissors um, because okay you know bad things why are you running with scissors um, sparklers are are they different than that well I think they are because it, it's it's all in how you're using them I mean you're going to let an eight year old use scissors right you're just going to stop them from running around with them right. Right. So, you know, if the, if the kids are, you know, trying to play sword fighting with sparklers, obviously yep. that's not okay. You're going to put a stop to that. But I, I don't think it's, I don't think that's the same as, you know, running with scissors. Well, I don't yeah, think that okay. All right. No, good. No, I, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, thanks. For, I mean, thanks. For, see, I don't, I don't either. I mean, I think there's always some inherently risky behavior that comes with, with being a kid, you know, or are we going to let kids run on the playgrounds? Um, well, are, are we going to let kids go down slides? Well, some places we don't. Are we going to let kids go on swings? Um, are we going to let kids play on a teeter-totter? We, we don't. And I and I, I do appreciate that if sparklers are misused, you know, bad things can happen. All right. Kelly in Pewaukee. Kelly, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for taking my phone call. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Um, I guess I'm just kind of upset about the whole subject here and that and everything. I'm a nurse that works on a burn unit. Mm-hmm. And um, we we see these types of injuries, and we've seen these types of injuries with um, sparklers. Mm-hmm. Parents are there. They're supervising. It's just like anything. An accident can happen anywhere. But these sparklers can ignite clothing, and it takes one little spark, and these, these kids are hurt, and it's not a good thing. Well, no. I mean, obviously, it, it's not a good thing. But kids get hurt. I, I suspect you see all sorts of children that come into your burn unit that have been burned by other sort of accidental things as well, right? I mean, it's not all just sparklers. Oh no, not just sparklers. But I mean, that's one thing that's out there. And if we can prevent it, we should be trying to prevent it. Well, should we do away with fire? Well, no, you can't. I mean, it all comes down to safety and the children being supervised. But at the same time. Uh, I don't know, just having this subject out there and, you know, wanting people to encourage them to use the sparklers with kids, I just don't think it's a good idea. Well, I, I, but, I mean, th- thanks, I mean, but you just said it, Kelly. You said it all comes down. First of all, it's illegal. Don't do it. I'm not encouraging people to break the law. But in this case, I mean, you just said it. It, it comes down to safety and, and it comes down to supervision. Um, and I guess this is, see, to me, and this is one of these examples of, again, things that were normal in, in our childhoods that most people grew up with and survived. You know, we, we survived sparklers somehow. And, I mean, I guess I just think on the 3rd or the 4th of July, if you've got a bunch of kids that are in the backyard and, you know, you've got adult supervision. And, obviously, I'm not saying you give an 8-year-old a cigarette lighter and send a bunch of them out and have them lighting these things off. I, I understand that. But I guess I sit there and think of under appropriate adult supervision, is this really something that we need to have outlawed? And, and that's that. That's the, the, the question. Or is this government going, again, too far? And, again, I think, I mean, I agree with the, the point that, you know, she was making, that, you know, you need to be safe, you need to have, have supervision. But, I don't know. You can burn yourself with birthday candles. And look, and I, I, I appreciate that actually, you know, if there's kids running around and they fall and they slip, you know, and there's a sparkler, they can be in the burn unit. I, I, I fully, completely and totally understand that. But, you know, it could be the same thing. You've got a barbecue grill in the backyard. You've got a kid that's, you know, running and runs into the barbecue grill or whatever. Okay, well, they're going to be in the burn unit, too. Does that mean that we don't have barbecue grills? I mean, that's, I guess that's... You know, that's the question that we have to face. And don't get me wrong. That's why I started off by saying these are it is illegal. It is a nasty fine if you provide, you know, fireworks to kids. So just 
it, you know, be aware of that. That's not true in all communities, but in Milwaukee, as a general rule, it is. So if you're going to do this on the 3rd or the 4th of July or this summer, you know, be aware of what the communities are. And I'm not encouraging people to violate the law. I'm just saying, as a matter of course, I, I think this law is perhaps an, an overreach. And again, this is one of these examples of how we want to bubble wrap our kids. And we want to take conduct and behavior and things which were normal for most of us over the years and then look at the worst case scenario. I mean, where do you, in fact, draw the line? Do you say, all right, you know, we have X number of children who come into emergency rooms or end up unfortunately dead in automobile accidents. But, okay, well, are we going to ban cars? Now, I understand banning cars is something different than banning sparklers. But, I mean, still, Tom in Eagle. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Just wanted to bring to your attention, they do manufacture a sparkler now that is all wooden. It's called a morning glory sparkler. Okay. So if the child has handed it and he accidentally drops the sparkler, he can only pick the sparkler up from the end that has not burnt. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I get it. So I'm sure there's, right, I mean, thanks. I'm sure there's these different types of, of safety devices that are around. But, look, and, and you wouldn't give one of these things to a three-year-old. I, I mean, I, I get it, but I don't know. It's just, I, I just, I picture these happy kids running around the backyard with sparklers and having fun on the 3rd or the 4th of July. And, and yeah, if, if they fall, bad stuff can happen. But if they fall into the barbecue grill or the fire pit, Bad things are going to happen as well. Here's a text. My dad used to bend the handle uh, and of a spark and 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 of a sparkler, light the bottom of the sparkler, and we could shoot it off with a slingshot. Never a burn. Okay. Well, I'm not encouraging that, mind you. And again, the law is the law. Be aware if you choose to do this. You know, bad things and the cops come out. I, I would, I would like to hear though. On, for example, on the fourth of July. Um, given all the violence that will be going on in the city of Milwaukee with people shooting off things a lot worse than sparklers, I would be curious to hear if anybody actually does get a ticket. It's 1026. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The NBA Finals are drawing to a close, which means draft season is here. Who's on the draft board for the Bucks? And has the NBA made any strides in their one-and-done rule? Justin Garcia. Justin always does a great job. He checks in with an expert this evening on Sports Central. Tune in at 635. Yes, um, hearing from a lot of people. We survived lawn darts. Now, there, there. I, I understand if you are of a certain age, you do not know what is this lawn dart thing that he talks about. Well, okay, imagine horseshoes, except with, like, pointy darts that you would throw. I mean, the darts were about, what, about a foot long or something like that? And, you know, it just you, you'd have, like, two plastic rings, and you'd set them up X number of feet away, and you'd, you'd play a game, just exactly kind of like horseshoes. And this was a commonplace thing. My parents, I remember, my parents would have parties in the summer, and adults would come over, and we'd participate. I, Jane Matineer, you love lawn darts, right? Absolutely. I, well, you know, in my case, though, I was the youngest of six, and I think my parents just figured if we lose one, it's not such a big deal. <laughs> right. It was kind of like the air uh, and the spare. And yeah, extra. we got extras. But, but, okay, but, all right, but you knew at an early age that, okay, th- these things, you don't throw one straight up in the air and try to catch it. I mean, it's just, you, you it's sort of like anything. 
Learning curve. The, yes, the, the, the learning curve. And somehow we all survive lawn darts. But now if you go to, like, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, their website, like, public enemy number one is lawn darts. And, again, I I understand that the times have changed and things are different, but I don't know. I guess when lawn darts, when jarts are outlawed, only outlaws will have jarts and sparklers. <laughs> It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What's it like to invite a worldwide audience onto your property for a week? Andy Ziegler, the owner of Aaron Hills, describes his effort to draw the U.S. Open here to Wisconsin. Catches one-on-one as part of Wayne Larrabee's most recent play-by-play podcast up now on WTMJ.com and the WTMJ mobile app. Yeah, the um, For people who might not be aware, the U.S. Open is coming to Wisconsin next week and so we're gonna have world-class golfers and people from all over the world descending um it is a very cool opportunity and uh this is i i've never been to Aaron hills have, haven't played Aaron hills haven't been there so um i think it's going to be interesting to see how they handle everything but it is just it's great for this area and if you're like me if you are a golfer it, it's just been amazing to see how you've had some people that have you know really stepped up herb kohler andy ziegler and, and really put a, a ton of money into developing some world-class golf courses in this area and those are just two there's a lot of really great golf courses around here and it's a lot of fun And the u.s open we're going to be having lots of coverage actually i know greg matzik and doug russell and a lot of other sports people are going to be out there covering the U.S. Open um, all next week, and it's very exciting. I'm glad to have people around, and it's fun. All right. All right. I actually – let me – let's go back in the Wayback Machine for, for just a minute. I, I have to review the bidding here because if you are of a certain age – this is where kind of the institutional memory comes in. If you are of a certain age, if you look at the area around where we call Northridge – like 76th and Brown Deer Road, etc. And I tell you that it was once a thriving area. You would say, what do you mean, Wagner? Are, are you nuts? Because now it is a ghost town. But back in the 70s and the 80s, and even to an extent the early 90s, you know, if you grew up, you know, in the North Shore, or you, you grew up in you know, southern Ozaki County, or you grew up on the west side, Northridge was the place that, that you would go. Movie theaters and um, restaurants and shops and stores. I mean, I can't tell you how many you know, uh, misbegotten Saturday evenings I, I spent you know, at, at Northridge going around all the different places. And it wasn't just the Northridge Shopping Center where you had a, a number of, you had like three or four department stores that served as anchors and a ton of other stores, but it was the whole area around there. I mean, there were restaurants, there were shops. It, it was a thriving, growing area. And, and now it is a ghost town. And I understand that, that the, you know, it seems like, you know, every year or so there's some program and there's some politician that comes up with this idea. We're going to revitalize this. But the truth and, and hopefully that'll work at some point in time. But the, the truth is it, it's been a ghost town that has been going downhill for the better part of probably 15 or, or 20 years now. All right. Across the street from Northridge was a um, a, a rental, they were rental units, they weren't condos, were, were a series of, of rental unit, unit-like townhouses called Northridge Lakes. Now, I remember when they built Northridge Lakes. Matter of fact, um, Northridge Lakes was the area where young professionals 
wanted to live. I mean, I can, I, for example, I remember one of my, my, my high school debate coach, for example, young, my senior year, um, uh, that's 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 where he lived. He he would only been out of like uh, been a teacher for like a year or two and came here. And that's that's the place where young single people wanted to live. That Northridge Lakes apartment thing because well it was kind of a hip and it was sort of a, believe it I was a hip and it was a trendy area. You were close to Northridge. The apartments were nice. And I mean I I knew a lot of for example young professionals that lived in that whole Northridge Lakes area. I was thinking about that today because. Looking at a story on Fox 6, Milwaukee police say multiple parked vehicles were entered and items were stolen out of the cars on June 7th and 8th on North 75th Street near Northridge Lakes Boulevard. So that's that's where we're talking about. Several owners woke up to find their entire car windows underneath their vehicles. One victim says, I don't know what happened. There's much confusion over a scene no car owner wants to start their day to. I woke up. Windows were busted, said another victim of a car who's broken into. I saw the window. I pulled it out to see four other women in their cars, seeing their windows were burst, and another break-in victim. An entire stretch of Northridge Lakes Boulevard became the target of overnight car break-ins. Neighbors say the damage was to vehicles with tinted windows. From here all the way down is busted. All the way down is busted. Spokesperson for the cop say several car owners reported stolen property. Um, Fox 6 News crew counted more than 10 cars with window damage. Um, so these appear to be like break-ins. Is somebody just going up and down the street, you know, busting open windows, um, looking for, you know, looking for stuff and valuables. Um, and, and essentially, authorities are saying, well, there's not a lot we can do. I mean, you're just, just prepared to be a victim. But, you know, this... This used to be a nice area. This used to be a, a decent area. It used to be an area where people would, you know, in fact, you know, want to live. And just like Northridge, the shopping center, has declined to the point of there's nobody that wants to go in there. At, you know, and I understand they've got these different plans and maybe it'll work. But at least over the last 15 or 20 years, there's been nobody that wants to go in there. That entire neighborhood has, has gone downhill as well. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It pains me to say this, but I think any plan to try to revitalize that area, whether it's bringing business in or commercial development or whatever, is doomed to failure unless unless you can figure out a way to improve the surrounding neighborhood because you know, what business is going to want to go into an area like that if the surrounding neighborhood, well, is like what the surrounding neighborhood is now? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I firmly believe that one of the things that led to the decline and the ultimate failure of Northridge was the fact that the surrounding neighborhood began to deteriorate. And it doesn't look to me, and it doesn't sound to me, like there's anything, well, in that surrounding neighborhood that's being done. And unless the surrounding neighborhood gets better, you might as well just continue to write off that area. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I know maybe you lived in that area. Maybe you have the shared experience that I have of saying, hey, this used to be a thriving area, used to be a great place to go. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1043. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
1046, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. News story, apparently in the last day or two, somebody went on a rampage through the Northridge Lakes apartment complex, um, busting windows of cars. I remember, I remember, it seems like it was just yesterday, but it wasn't, when that used to actually be a decent neighborhood where people would want to live. But, you know, I'm listening to all these plans to try to revitalize Northridge, and, and they never seem to go anywhere. But the truth of the matter, at least I believe, is unless... You're not going to get business development there. You're certainly not going to get retail development there unless you can do something about the crime problem plaguing the surrounding neighborhood. Let's start with Matt in Cary, Illinois. Matt, good morning. Matt. Good morning. Hi, Matt. Good morning. I love the show. Thank you, sir. Um, this is uh, one of those topics I, I feel like we, we finally disagree on something. Okay. Um, I feel like it's a chicken or the egg kind of argument, right? Like... No one's going to move to the area without sort of an opportunity for employment. Um, and I can't argue with the fact that what what companies are going to want to move to a high-crime area. Right, yeah. So right. how do you revitalize that? Well, I, It seems I, to be a common problem with Chicago as well, right? Oh, oh, yeah. No, I mean, right. And I, I understand. I mean, that that's the dilemma. How do you get somebody? And you you put it very well. I mean, if, if I'm a business guy, or let's say I'm, let's say I'm looking to open up, I don't know, a, 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 some sort of retail store, and you know, I've got a universe of choices to you know pick from. Why do I want to work in a, in an area where the surrounding neighborhood is, is crummy? And you know, your point, I get it, is that well. You know, unless you have those businesses and stuff, you're not going to be able to improve the neighborhood. I guess I think you have to do both at the same time. I mean, I get that. I mean, I'm not sure it's a chicken or an egg thing, but I think you have to do both at the same time. But you start with, like, cleaning up the surrounding area and then trying to simultaneously move businesses in. But if you're not, I guess I think if a business isn't seeing any improvement in the area, there's no way you're going to get investment from them. So Agreed. Right. I, as my mother always said, uh, idle hands are a devil's plaything, right? Um, <laughs> right. So it, what I've seen, and I'm a, I'm a constant commuter between Milwaukee and Chicago and right. the surrounding suburbs. Um, in fact, I'm on my way to Milwaukee right now. And I, I feel like industrial type of businesses, manufacturing type of business, seem to be the that starting solution. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, where you're going to employ the most amount of lowest skilled workers in that type of area. Retail, I definitely don't see as being a solution because if there's no jobs in the area, they're not going to have money to buy things. Right. And they're only going to be able to employ a handful of the people in that area. So retail is definitely not the answer. But industrial jobs, I feel like, have have worked in improving Communities, well, know, yeah, and you're seeing that in the yeah, yeah, Matt, and you're seeing that in the uh, Menominee Valley, for example, kind of the light industrial. Okay, let's look at our text line. Um, let's see, this is uh, Justin. Chief Lynn needs to be given full authority to implement vigorous broken window law enforcement before all of Milwaukee suffers the fate of the former Northridge area, which prior to the last 20 years of rampant crime once hosted some of the most valuable commercial properties in Wisconsin. If policies don't change, the Third Ward, the Fifth Ward, and Bayview could someday suffer similar fate. I, I do think broken windows is important, and broken windows is, of course, you pay attention to the small stuff, um, and then hopefully if you care about the small stuff, that then stops the problems from becoming big stuff. That's not politically correct nowadays, though, so you have to understand that several people get this. Build a trolley line. They will come. Another text. This is from Brad. Maybe we should extend the trolley line up to Northridge. That'll fix the crime problem. 
Um, let's talk to Steve in Mequon. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Thanks Hi, for Steve. taking my call. Sure. Um, I, I get what you're saying. I'm in that area a lot, but I also get around downtown and up in the outskirts of downtown, like Brewers Hill. And I'll tell you, that that used to be a really crummy, rundown area. Yep. In fact, it's not very far from some of the worst areas of the city. Yep. But they've added a lot of the newer condos, and people have, have rehab houses, and it's coming back, and it's kind of in reverse of what you're talking about. Why do you, okay, why do you think, for example, Brewers Hill has been successful and, like, the areas around Northridge haven't been? Well, but the question is, how did it get to be run down to begin with? Back in the day, those were middle-class houses of, you know, mm-hmm. that back in the part of the last century, that, that Brewers Hill was a very nice area, and then it got into decline. So, it'd be, well, how did it end up getting in decline? It's just an cycle of things. Um, I, I remember way way back when you had uh, this Gus Gnorski on your show, used to, our station used to have a show, and, I, and this was many decades ago, right. and he and I got in a little argument, and I said, the way things are going, the northwest side of Milwaukee is going to end up looking like the core, and he, and he told me I was crazy, and now, you know, look, okay. look what's happened. Well, I mean, know, I get, so. I mean, I, well, I mean, I guess here, here's the... Here's the thing. I mean, there, there's been a degree of gentrification going on. And, and you look, for example, in the city of Milwaukee, the, the, you look at the Third Ward, and you, and you look at the explosion of businesses. You look at Bayview. I mean, Bayview is a classic example where you have a lot of younger people that are coming in, and there's a lot of great stuff that's going on in Bayview, for example. Um, and, you know, houses that were previously, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not going to say run down, but, I mean, it's been a revitalized sort of community. There's a lot of positive stuff that's going on. But at the same time, there's only so much development that, that can occur. And there's only so many places that you can go with these different types of things. And I, I just, I guess I believe that the Northridge area, it, it's just been such a missed opportunity. And the problem is it's not getting any better. And so, I mean, I, I look at stories like, again, th- this is this is an act of vandalism. I get it that, you know, uh, in the city of Milwaukee, and, and unfortunately all over, you have stories where, you know, you have vandals that just go on these rampages, breaking windows, breaking into cars. And so, you know, maybe this is the type of thing that happens all over. But it happens with alarming frequency in these type of areas. And, I mean, I do think that, I mean, I, I do think that what we need to do is is recognize that you've got to get control of neighborhoods and that you have to deal with this crime problem to make make places areas that people want to live in once there's areas that people feel safe and that they want to live in i think what happens is that then business development follows right you've got you know people that are in and candidly let's just be honest i think one of the reasons that led to the decline of northridge was the fact that you know you had um people who became concerned with driving in the area a lot of the suburban shoppers northridge got the reputation that it was dangerous that it was crime plagued uh some of that was perception some of it was reality but then you had a lot of suburban shoppers from you know ozaki county for example or washington county who maybe used to go to northridge who said okay we're we're not going to go and then what ended up happening is that you get, you get into this vicious cycle where if you're not getting the people that are coming and patronizing the stores the stores end up closing and then then, you know, you end up with a food court and a couple wig shops or something like that. I mean, at the end, it was just sad to what happened in Northridge. But you got to fix the surrounding neighborhoods. And I, I just don't see enough attention being given to that. 
if you if you matter if it matters you know maybe you just want to say okay this is an area that we're you know going to write off for the foreseeable future but that entire corridor out there used to be I mean, that used to be something special, and now it's not. 1054, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, coming up in about 10 minutes. We're going to be talking to our very own John McCure, the host of Wisconsin's Afternoon News. He is in Washington. He's in the nation's capital with uh, the honor flight. It's the day of honor, so stay tuned for that. Um, one oversees a city that plays host to the state's signature event. The other is one of the state's top reporters, West Dallas Mayor Dan Devine and Journal Sentinel columnist Dan Bice join Scafidi and Bill Stats Friday Forum today at 2.07. So check that out as well. Um, coming up in a, after we talk to John McCure, got a really interesting story. Um, a student at Stevens Point files a lawsuit claiming that instead of the F that she got in her poetry class, she was entitled to an A. And I understand there's some eye-rolling with this. Actually, it's it's more interesting and more complex of an issue. I don't know that ultimately it doesn't deserve eye-rolling that you went to court for this. But it is an interesting issue that raises some of these questions about What's going on in college on college campuses nowadays, and how much freedom should professors have to, well, quote-unquote, teach classes the way they want to teach them? So that's all coming up. We're going to discuss it. But John McCure is going to be with us in less than 10 minutes. We're going to, re- going to report from Washington, D.C. It is 1059. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1108. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jane, before I let you leave, this, this one, this two lanes closed looks like a real mess. 4145 northbound. This disabled truck at Mayfair Road is making for a very, very slow ride. I will be uh, calling the, the uh, DOT right. in just a second uh, to find two, out. Two how left long lanes closed by Elm Grove Road, too. Because right? of an accident. Westbound 94 at Elm Grove Road. Okay, we'll continue to keep because. I'm looking at these traffic cameras, and it looks like they're crawling. Couple, couple real problems. We'll we'll continue to keep you updated on that. Um, all right, this is something we're very very excited about. As I said earlier, one of the things over the years that I have been very very proud of that we the WTMJ got got involved with at the beginning was the Stars and Stripes Honor F- Flight, and uh, it's just amazing how many people have, you know, how many veterans, people who've engaged in, you know made incredible sacrifices so we can enjoy the freedoms that we have, have had a chance to go to Washington, D.C. to see the various memorials and monuments. Um, Big honor flight today. This is the day of honor, and our very own John McCure is in Washington, D.C. right now. John, good morning. John? John, John, John. Okay. Can you hear me? Well, you're cutting in and out. Do we have him? Hey, I am at Arlington, Jeff. Okay, got it. We got you on now. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Jeff. Okay. Uh, we're at Arlington. You know, this is so interesting. We're with 76 veterans from World War II, Korea, and a couple from Vietnam. And it's a beautiful day here. It's 76 degrees, blue skies and sunshine. And we're at one of the most somber and humbling places in the D.C. area. I know you've been here. It's Arlington National Cemetery. And our veterans right now as I speak 
I can see across the way are witnessing the changing of the guard. Very powerful. During the summer, it happens every 30 minutes, and our veterans are sitting. Some of them are saluting. I can see them. The changing of the guard is taking place. And it's an incredible day here. We're on our way. Here we will go to see the different monuments for these veterans. We'll go to Korea. We'll go to the World War II Memorial. But there's already been tears shed and laughter shared. It's going to be quite a day, Jeff. John, tell me a little bit about the morning. What time did it start for you? Nice and early. So the veterans report to the airport in Milwaukee about 5 o'clock. We get on the airplane, begin about 6 o'clock, 6.30, 7.15. It's wheels up, and we were on our way to D.C., and then we landed here at Reagan National about an hour and a half ago, and Arlington is our first stop. And where are some of the other places that you're going after Arlington? From here, we take the veterans to World War II, and I think there's about a dozen World War II vets on our flight. We will go to the World War II Memorial and take in the mall in general. There will be a big period of time where the veterans can then walk to Korea, which many of them will do. There's about 60 Korean War vets on our flight. And then they will walk to the Vietnam Memorial. We'll take in the Lincoln Memorial. And that's where we go from here, as well as seeing Iwo Jima. That's our very next stop, the Marine Corps Memorial at Iwo Jima, powerful and just outside of Arlington. John, I know one of the big things also is, these, is, is the mail call and then the, the reception, uh, the, the greeting, the yeah. homecoming thing. What time are you guys scheduled to get back tonight? Do you know? A little later tonight, Jeff, 9.30. Normal flights come in at 8.30, and normally it's on a Saturday. It's 9.30 tonight because of some uh, charter aircraft issues. So we will get into Milwaukee at about 9.30. If you'd like to come out for the homecoming, what a great thing to do with your kids, to do with your family. Maybe you're taking a fish fry for dinner, and then come on out to the airport. But get there early. Get there, I would say, 8-ish or so, so you can have a nice place to welcome home our heroes as we come home from Washington. DC. Now, John, I know this is a, a very significant flight as far as the number, uh, about how many people have gone on honor flight and, and all. Let, let's talk about a little bit about the, the day of honor. I mean, what's what, what's going on with this particular flight? Yeah, two big numbers today, Jeff. This is the 40th flight. WTMJ has been part of honor flight since the very beginning, the first 2008. Today marks the 40th time that we carry veterans to Washington, D.C., and the 5,000th veteran on an honor flight is on this flight. So the 5,000th veteran that we've carried from southeast Wisconsin to Washington, D.C. is on this flight. And, of course, we're gearing up, Jeff, for Vietnam. Right. Absolutely. Well, John, um, we'll look forward to your reports during the balance of the day. Um, It's a special thing, and I I know we we appreciate everything that you're doing and everything that everybody with honor flight has done for the veterans. So we'll talk later on. It's 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The WTMJ Classic Free Ride makes a pit stop in West Dallas today. Join Scafidi and Billstad as they broadcast live from noon to 3 at Here, Wisconsin on 102nd and National Avenue. Register to win the stunning 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible and tickets to see Paul Simon perform at Summerfest later this month. That is today from noon to 3 at Here, Wisconsin on 102nd and National in West Dallas. It's the WTMJ Classic Free Ride sponsored by New Mail Medical in Tosa and Summerfest. All right. Now, I I, want to tell you the whole story because it may or may not change the, the way you react to this. Now, the headline is, student asks court to force poetry professor to give her an A. All right. Now, this was uh, USA Today Network and the local newspaper and stuff. This is what they had. Um, A student 
who didn't think her poetry professor's reading list served her needs as a mainstream student has sued her teacher asking the court to get her failing grade raised. 59-year-old woman who's pursuing a bachelor's degree at University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point um, said she wanted to study the classics when she took her advanced creative writing poetry course. But the selected text, this is what she says, rather than including Robert Frost and others of interest to her, classic poets, focused on lesbians, illicit sexual relationships, incest, and frequent swearing, she said. She asserts her complaints about the course material resulted in an F in the course. She believes she deserved an A and filed suit December 30th in Portage County Circuit Court when she couldn't get the university to change the professor's grade. Um, Her beef, this is the woman who filed the suit, the professor has swung the pendulum far to the side of LGBT students and in doing so has chosen to totally discount the importance and the validity of mainstream student population, the woman argues. She said her failing grade was was capricious retaliation for her raising concerns about the course content and the professor's behavior. The woman alleged that the professor exposed her breasts while showing the class a back shoulder tattoo. <laughs> um, okay, now first of all, you get the you get the idea that this is just a circus. I mean, okay, you, you've got an advanced poetry class, and it does sound like the curriculum is, oh, if you want to study the classics, don't bother at UW-Stevens Point. And I am trying to picture, all right, I, 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 whether, whether the professor exposed her breasts or not to the class, I mean, what what is the professor doing exposing a back shoulder tattoo to the class? I mean, okay, it, oh, Hondo, you you take classes. I mean, have you been in a class where the professor decides to like expose their tattoos and stuff? Not yet, right? No, well, maybe you need to sign up at Stevens Point. Okay, so so this is the woman's beef. She signs up for this class. Um, it's not what she expected. It's not. Uh, and let's assume for the sake of argument that she's correct, it's not this sort of traditional thing. She wants, you know, Robert Frost and Elizabeth Browning and all that type of stuff, and what she's getting is um, poetry focused on lesbians, illicit sexual relationships, incest, and frequent swearing. She complains. She says she deserved an A. She got an F. She says it's because of these complaints that she made. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Maybe you will agree with me. Maybe you won't. I I appreciate the overall point that it sounds like, if this lady's complaints are correct, it sounds like you have another example of some, like, left-wing a professor in the UW system with an agenda who has kind of hijacked a course. Okay? I, I get it. I, I understand that, and it does sound that like that's the case. You know, that being said, when you sign up for classes, typically I think it's the student's responsibility to read the curriculum, you know, and, and figure out. Most of these classes, they're, they're not, it's not a secret about, you know, what's being taught. I mean, that's, matter of fact, I mean, you read the syllabus, you know, you read the class description, and you understand, you know, how wacky some of these particular classes are. So I guess I look at this thing, and I appreciate the frustration that this woman has, and I appreciate her frustration at apparently what the course material is. But my point would be 
if you don't want to take that kind of class, you don't sign up for it. Or, you know, once you sign up for it, once you see what you are getting into, you, you just you just drop it. I think professors should have the right to produce whatever course curriculum they want. And the students have the right to sign up or not. If there is going to be a review of this, if there's an issue with the way a professor is teaching a particular class, to me, that comes from the university. And I think it is fair to ask, you know, are the inmates running the asylum when it comes to, you know, certain way, certain things that are being taught at the UW system, you know, are tax dollars at work? But I, I, just because the lady, the student, doesn't like the curriculum, just because she doesn't think they're covering the material, you know, that, that should be covered, just because they're not teaching the classics or instead, you know, teaching sort of like wacky stuff, to me, that's that's her problem she should she should just drop the class and you know maybe complain about it and you know maybe that's something for the board of regents or you know the university to look at but i don't think she has a right to an a 414-799-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line what do you think about students who might even be legitimately aggrieved over the nature of stuff that's being taught in a particular class do you think that they should be able to go to the courts to demand that they get A's in classes. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, my response is I am sympathetic. I have no doubt that there's a lot of like uh, wacky stuff passing for education going on in the UW system that's underwritten by tax dollars. But to me, the answer isn't, hey, sue your professor demanding that you get an A. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. It's 1123, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1126, it's 1126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, so this woman, she, she takes this advanced creative writing, poetry, or fiction class. She thinks they should be teaching the classics. Uh, according to her, this is at UW-Stevens Point, she says the uh, <laughs> instead of instead of focusing on, like, the classics, the teacher is focused on lesbians, illicit sexual relationships, incest, and frequent swearing. She complains. She flunks the course. She's suing, saying she thinks she could, she could get an A. Um, I, I just... I, I appreciate why she's upset with this. I, I think this might be indicative and endemic to a lot of the stuff that we're paying for as taxpayers in the UW system, but I still don't think you sue. Laura in Brighton. Hi, Laura. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm a big fan of yours, so thanks for letting me talk. Thanks for calling. But, uh, well, I, I agree with you. I don't think people change because they're upset. However, I've dealt with a lot of renegade teachers with my kids over the years. Right. And so I have two questions. Oh, I'm sorry, your cell phone cut out there. You were going to have two questions. Was it required and was it described in the syllabus? That's what my note said. Um, I'm, I'm looking at this. This is, as near as I can figure out, this is English 553, um, or you can get undergraduate credit as English 353. Here's the course description. Intensive study in writing various forms of poetry or fiction. Class discussions of student work may take a maximum of nine credits with six or more under one focus. So that's it. Um, I that's the course description. I haven't been able to find the syllabus, but 
Um, so, I mean, I, I would acknowledge that just from the course description, you wouldn't get the idea that necessarily, again, in this woman's words, that the focus is going to be on lesbians, illicit sexual relationships, incest, and frequent swearing. You wouldn't necessarily get that indication. But at the same time, I think it's probably pretty clear. My guess is the first day you show up in class, you know what you, in class, you know what you are getting into. And so at that point in time, I think that's when you end up, um, you know, you, you just kind of like drop the course and, and find something else that might be more suitable. Again, I, this is one where I just don't think anybody is right in the particular situation. I I understand why this lady is is upset. It's not necessarily, you know, what she's expecting. I mean, I, I get all that. But at the same time, I don't want to be in a situation where, you know, every time you have a student that shows up in a particular classroom and they don't like the way the teacher is teaching the curriculum or they don't like the curriculum that the teachers developed that they think that they should be entitled to sue and, and get an A. The, the, the way to deal with this, if you're the student, is to drop the class, take a class that should be more suitable, and you know that early on in the experience, and then raise issues with, you probably start with the English department at Stevens Point. My guess is you're not going to get too much traction there. Go up the ladder with the administration. My guess is you're probably, given the way we, you know, we educate people in the state and given the types of mentalities that operate a lot of the UW system, you're probably not going to get a lot of sympathy there. But then, you know, maybe this is a matter that's raised with the regent level or something. So, I mean, I think it's there's ways that you can complain about the different curriculum and, and the things that are being taught. But I, I just I think it's a really slippery slope if you allow the individual students to say, hey, you know, I, I just I don't like the type of poets that this particular woman is, is teaching. Um, you know, it, it is you know, it is what it is. And if you don't like it, you, I guess, drop the class. That's how I think I would, um, you know. I, that's how I would appropriate it. Chris and Elkhorn says, we have a friend that is a head professor at UW School. It's gotten to a point where the subject curriculum is completely inappropriate. Um, is it too much to expect that uh, course studies are at a PG or better um, le- level? Why do they need to study heavy sexual content just to get a rise out of students? These professors know what they are doing, and they are protected in doing that. See, and, and that's, again, see, to me, that that's the key. It, it's where is the administration if if you've got this curriculum being taught in this fashion. It seems, seems to me it's the administration that deals with it, not lawsuits. It is 1130. We've got the week in review coming up. Stick around. It's 1135. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, WTMJ's Classic Free Ride makes a pit stop in West Dallas today. Joins Cafiti and Billstead as they broadcast live from noon to 3 at Here, Wisconsin, 102nd and National Avenue. Registered to win the stunning 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible and tickets to see Paul Simon perform at Summerfest later this month. That's today from noon to 3 at Here, Wisconsin on 102nd and National in West Dallas. It's our Classic Free Ride sponsored by New Mail Medical in Tosa and Summerfest. All right. This is the portion of the week. We call it the Week in Review. I am joined, as always, by my dear friends. I am the thorn between the two roses. Uh, Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. We are live streaming. No, we're not live streaming on Facebook. Okay, McCure has the good stuff. So, all right. All right, we're just on the radio today. Oh, good but morning. All right. All right. All right. Awesome. See, and you guys dress. Keep you it guys, clean, Susie. We won't be seen, but we'll be heard. <laughs> you, you guys dressed up. Okay, see? And that's it. And we didn't have to. I, I'm wearing my Jimmy Buffett stuff and my shorts. Okay, um, 
topic number one. It's what everybody's talking about. Yesterday, former FBI Director James Comey testifies. Um, the world comes to a halt as people are watching this. Let's start with you, Tracy. You know, what is the impact of the Comey testimony? Did it hurt President Trump? Is there a case for obstruction of justice? How significant is this? Well, I think it's it's funny. You see the, the uh, some of the Trump supporters, they're, you know, dancing around and they're saying, OK, this is a victory. Uh, this is great, uh, you know, for our country. And I think in a lot of ways, this is kind of like, OK, guys, are, are we going to keep spending our time with all these trials and all this testimony and all this stuff? Can we just move on here? Um, you know, on the other side, I think. President Trump missed an opportunity to be an adult about this. Um, the sense that he, you know, was tweeting about this and saying, "Hey, he's a leaker. I told you so." Complete vindication. Uh, I was completely vindicated. I just, I feel like he missed an opportunity here, and you know, you you've got him so professional on the on the world stage, meeting with these world leaders. He is accomplishing good things, but it's such a distraction. So, um, I think. I think this is a good thing. I think it took a little bit of focus off of the president, made Jim Comey look like, I mean, he's done in my mind. I think. Oh, he's, so you think Comey done. came out looking bad? I, I think guess. he looked terrible. I mean, th- th- from the sense that he did act, I, I think, with, with malice. I mean, he leaked documents to his friends so that it would get to the media. You can't do that. He did everything that we, do, we don't respect, expect from our so officials. you think you think Comey was a bigger loser following his testimony yesterday than President Trump was? Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Susie. Well, I think that he Comey was um, protecting himself and trying to. He he was being, his a character was being attacked. Okay, he and he was being defamed by the president. The president and he when he slipped the information to his buddy, the law professor. He did so to rebuild his character to, to, to try to tell the truth. Um, at the time. He slipped a memo that hadn't been classified. Yep. Um, at the time, he wasn't a federal employee. Uh, so I, what does he have to lose, Tracy? I mean, he's not going to get fired. He doesn't have that job. I think he came across looking like a very um, upstanding professional um, that he cares for the FBI. He basically said he, he apologized for not being able to say goodbye to his employees who seemed to very much like him. He should have um, quit. I, and he should have quit. The, well, that, that was my question. Should, if, if he was as appalled as he said he was from these different you know, contacts and meetings, should he have quit? Should he have said, just as a matter of principle, I can't work in these conditions, Mr. President, here, here's my letter of resignation? I mean, he, 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 and he might have gotten there, right? I mean, he started keeping track of those conversations because he, was, he found them very disturbing. He did the right thing there. Um, you know, he... <sighs> I think he was going to see how long he could this thing would drag out and I think you know the reason he 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 said he wouldn't come public with Donald Trump you're not under investigation is because he didn't know every time they turn you know turn over a new rock they they're they're finding more information so it I will tell you this, Donald Trump hasn't seen the last of this. In fact, there are more questions that came out of yesterday that are going to be asked. And, and, and I, I'm not positive that, he, that there won't, they won't Tr- find Tracy, something. Isn't this such a distraction? Why do you think that President Trump fired him? I think, I think President Trump knew what we found out yesterday, that he was kind of acting behind the scenes. Um, I, I forgot the name of the deputy uh, director, but I think that... that that he was seeing that some of this stuff was going on. And when you start to have that mistrust in an office where trust is what it's all about, somebody needs to go. It cannot function 
the way that it was Do you it think it's going. appropriate for a president to contact somebody like the director of the FBI and say, I need your I need your loyalty. I want you to publicly come out and, and clear me in this or that or the other. No. Do you think that's appropriate? I, I don't think it's appropriate. And I, 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 but, I mean, if you're talking about, like, the obstruction of justice, I, I don't think there was anything going on there. I mean, it, it's not appropriate. But Comey is the government official that should have probably said, well, I can't do that. And I, I, so I, I don't say that President Trump didn't do anything wrong. I just think it's all been misplaced. Okay, Susie, from a PR perspective, who wins, in your opinion, the battle yesterday? To the extent there's a battle, who comes off looking worse, Trump or Comey? I think that Trump, I think there are a lot of questions, and I think that personally, I believe Comey, and I think that if you look at the timeline, if you look at what supposedly was asked of him, I do think that he was fired um, by Trump so that this cloud that's, you know, hovering over the public square goes away. Okay. I think, will we find that to be a, a, you know, obstruction of justice? That's not for us to decide. That's for the special prosecutor to decide. I think this is really bad for Donald Trump because it is, Tracy, you made the point. It's a distraction, and it's going to continue to be a distraction. This is not, we haven't, we're just you know, digging into I think this. they both looked awful. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess they I did. I mean, and I, I appreciate what you're saying, Tracy, about James Comey and, and the, the fact that he leaked the stuff. I, I don't, I think that made him look bad. The fact that if he was so appalled by things, he didn't resign, that made him look bad. At the same time, I mean, it's never a good thing to have the director of the FBI calling you a liar. <laughs> That's what he said in the beginning. And I, I guess, you know, Paul Ryan saying yesterday that he thinks that this is maybe indicative of Trump not understanding the difference between being the president versus being a CEO. But, I mean, I'll tell you, as a former prosecutor, I mean, the idea that somebody in the executive branch would essentially be trying to direct you in your business, I think that would be that would be concerning. Now, I don't think it's obstruction of justice, and the reality is the president could end any investigation by pardoning someone. What I find so disturbing about the whole thing is that Donald Trump doesn't seem to care that the Russians are hijacking or trying to meddle in our elections, that he hasn't once said to Comey, you know, earlier on, we need to talk more about the Russians and what are they doing, you know, and how bad is it? I mean, he never asked the question. And it's funny, when you turn on, it depends what, we talk about this a lot, what channel you're watching. That's the Democrat speaking point is, well, we didn't get to the bottom of the Russia investigation. Well, no, we were there to talk about what Trump was doing. It, so let's save that investigation for another day. There, there was a there was a there was somebody who was live blogging this the other yesterday, and what they were doing. And I was saying this earlier on the various networks. You know, they they put subtitles up. You know, they captioned during the testimony, and it was just amazing to watch. Like you're watching MSNBC. Comey says Trump a liar. You're watching Fox News. No evidence to you know support. <laughs> it was it was, and I, I think well, that's actually that that's what I think you're going to see here too. If you like Donald Trump. Yeah. You're going to see complete vindication. If you hate Donald Trump, you're going to see okay. An ABC poll came out that said said as much. You know, basically eighty eight percent. Polls are, are always so accurate. Well, you know, okay. Susie. Well, Tracy, you got to get your information from somewhere. I, yeah, no, but, you're no, right. But, but the point is, I mean, I think it just reinforced. Pre, I don't think it changed anybody's no, exactly. mind. That's I think it, re, it probably yeah. one way or the other reinforced stuff. But the issue isn't going to go away. And I agree with both of you. That the more the bigger issue is. I, th- I think it's very clear that Russia was trying to mess with our electoral process, and, and that's the issue. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, all right, uh, something near and dear to your heart, Tracy, transportation, spending, um, and lots more. Stick around. It's 1144. Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson, The Week in Review on 620 WTMJ.
1147. Jeff Wagner, Tracy Johnson, Susie Falk. It's our Week in Review, topic number two. All right, an ongoing debate in, in the State House between Republicans. Governor Walker says, no new gas taxes. I want to do it through borrowing. The State Senate appears to be on board with that. The State Assembly is pushing more aggressive sort of schemes and ideas. Governor says maybe he's open to toll roads. Tracy Johnson, what's going on and how should this work out? Well, I, I think the the plan that we saw put forward a couple weeks ago by the by the Assembly Republicans was one that kind of overhauled and created a long term funding solution. And I think it's it, it out of the gate it was characterized as a tax increase, and so that's the way everybody's looking at it and the way that everybody's talking about it. When in fact what it was was kind of the moving around of of the way that we're paying for gas and something that's a little more indexed and a, a lot more sustainable and i think we'll put more money in the coffers over okay, but it, overall but, it, but it's a practical matter that's not going to happen this, this no, cycle it's so, too complicated so what do we need what needs to happen i mean people want to budget in the next couple of weeks is it time for the assembly republicans to kind of back off Get on board and move on. Yes, they they definitely need to negotiate. And, and this was a battle that I think a lot of people thought we weren't even going to get this far mm-hmm. in the conversation, in the battle. I think a lot of new talking points have come about. I think some creative solutions with uh, with, with the Senate R- Republicans are proposing are are positive. I think it's a good thing that we're talking about tolling. I'm not saying that's the end all be all, but I think it's a good thing that we're talking about other solutions and being realistic with the fact that cars are getting more fuel efficient and we can't always look at the gas tax to be uh, the end all be all. Susie. Well, Tracy's on top of the politics of it. You know, in terms of how to pay for transportation, I support um, tolling. You know, I at first I was opposed to it, but I've been in enough states lately that have tolls and they're very manageable. You know, if you get your iPass in Illinois or your SunPass in Florida, you can get through those pretty fast. So from a consumer standpoint, I don't have a problem with tolling. Okay, now Governor Walker says the only way he'd go along with tolling is if essentially you only put them up like at the Illinois line, state line. That's a long way out, though. Right, and also to me, that's a a complete non-starter because um, there is this thing called the Commerce Clause, and I, I think the law is pretty clear that if you're going to do tolling, you've got to do it across the state. You can't just try to target out-of-state people. But you're right. I mean, the, the, the long-term answer is tolling. You need to get permission from the federal government. You need to build the infrastructure. If you're trying to just put them up on the state lines, you're looking at a decade of litigation. I mean, toll roads are not an immediate solution to our problem. Well, but the but vehicle registration fees, I think, are, are mm-hmm. a, a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know they're kind of that's kind of up in the air right now. But what, what it What's comes down to... What's wrong with borrowing? Borrowing, I, just the way that it pushes the, the, the payments out into the future. And we're going to wake up one day and say, holy cow, we are paying more for the money that we borrowed than what yeah, we're but, paying to do the projects. But, but and all can of I that- see a show of hands? I mean, you, you two both own houses. You have mortgages, right? I mean, I mean borrowing isn't always right. bad. People we- wouldn't own houses unless you, you borrow to get a mortgage. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to borrow, especially if in four years I can hand that 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 responsibility and that liability over to someone else. I just think at some point it's irresponsible. And when you look at how much money we are paying for the money we borrow versus what it does. Is this going to get done in the next couple of weeks? I don't think comprehensively, no. And we have until July 1st, I believe. Is that right? Eh. Right. Well, the, but, I mean, there, there's <laughs> no, it's not like the government shuts I down. But, okay, uh, I don't to- think people are going to be, be happy. Okay, to- topic number three. Um, Chicago. Uh, great cab town. Right now, about 47% of the cabs that were operating 
a year or two ago. They're no longer operating. Uber is killing the cab industry. Um, is Uber going to kill cabs in Milwaukee? Susie. You know what? Where are the cabs in Milwaukee? I've always had a hard time getting cabs in Milwaukee. So, yes, I think it will. You know, I feel sorry for cab drivers, but they, if they're watching the trends, I mean, it's time to think about maybe. Well, I think a lot of them are probably driving for Uber now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be my could guess. Be. You know, in New York City, those medallions, they used to be worth something like a million, a million five. And now they're. The medallions being the, the right medallion, to drive a cab. Right, right. right. The right yep. to the license a cab. Now they're, they're worth like 600000 I mean, so I. Well, and you got to you've got to look at the business models too. I mean, when you yeah. talk about when you talk about a city like Milwaukee, because we're so spread out, that on-demand transportation mm-hmm. option is is that's what we that's what we want. And mm-hmm. then when you talk about the transparency that an Uber or a rideshare offers, that you, that's you know what, what you're going to pay, right? You, you right, you know it's there's no mystery. Yeah. Now, are, are you guys Uber. are you guys Uber users? Lyft. Yep. I'm a lifter. I'm a oh, Uber well, user. okay, rideshare yep. thing. So you yep. Lyft. Yep. Uber. I'm a lifter. <laughs> I'm a lifter. <laughs> yeah. Although Absolutely. I will I say it. we were just in Las Vegas, and I, when I, if I were to call an Uber or Lyft, yeah. it would take longer than just catching a cab. So it depends on the city. See, it's interesting that that was your experience because when I was in Vegas with my brother a little while back. Um, and, and this is the first time I had. This is the first time I actually ever used Uber. He, you know, we he would dial it up. There was no waiting in cab lines. We were coming back from a restaurant that was kind of off the beaten path on a Saturday night. The, the I don't know where we would got the cab. There weren't cabs going around. Um, the the Uber guy was there in, in a minute. Okay, so in Chicago, I waited for an Uber guy who kept going around the block like sure. five times. He couldn't find yeah. me, you know, and I, <laughs> I was very clear about where I was. So he had just started driving for Uber. So, you, you yeah. know, it depends on where you go. Okay, we've got the Right Stuff Awards coming up. It's 11.53. <laughs> Stick around. 11.56, Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson, The Week in Review. Susie, uh, our Right Stuff Awards. Yeah, Susie you, Falk. You bet. The thousands of teachers who are wrapping up another successful year this week. Um, teachers, I think, are some of the most underrated yet most powerful professionals in the whole world. Their work has long-term impact, not just on the lives of the kids they teach, but on society as a whole. They have the power to shape generations, impact minds, and make the world a better place. So I thank them all for their contribution, and I hope they enjoyed their summers. Tracy Johnson. All right, my Right Stuff Award goes to Waukesha County Executive Paul Farrell, who, uh, as many of you probably have read in the papers, is out in Washington, D.C. with Robin Voss, meeting with Donald Trump and a, a group of advisors talking about the import- importance of investing in transportation. So they're looking for more local flexibility and control for those infrastructure issues. We might even be able to talk more realistically about tolling after this visit. Um, he's been a strong supporter of infrastructure and economic development issues and, and really out front and outspoken when others have not been. So he gets my Right Stuff Award this week. My Right Stuff Award this week. It's somewhat self-indulgent, but I get to be that way every now and then. Uh, tonight, my my niece, who's also my goddaughter, Sydney Ann, A-N-N-E, she's named after my mother, graduates from Pewaukee High School. Um, she's a beautiful young woman. She's uh, just uh, the apple of all our eyes, and we are very proud of her. My regret is that, you know, my parents and my late wife, you know, did, did not live to see this, but they're all going to be there in spirit tonight as we're cheering Sydney on. Um, I love you, dear. So congratulations and uh, best of luck in the future. That's my Right Stuff Award winner. It doesn't get much better than that.